Where today we're back into our series, The Me I Want to Be. This is part five, actually. And we took uh, one week departure from that last Sunday because obviously it was Mother's Day. So I'm excited for us to get back into this today. And then we'll go one more week next Sunday. And then the following week, we're going to start a series that I think is going to be very helpful. We're going to talk about what goes on in really a world that we can't see. And... Um, you know, spirit, spirit world. And you're like, Ooh, that sounds a little bit eerie. And maybe you're thinking that way, but you'll just need to be here for that. And, uh, that's going to be enlightening for a lot of us, but I'm so glad you're here for this. And actually this series flows out of Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. You can read over that later. It uh, lists in there nine, what are called the nine fruit of the spirit. And several that are mentioned there, we're not going to mention them all in this series. It would take us a little bit longer than we would typically uh, do a message series. But you can read and study, and I would encourage you to dig into that. I want to encourage all of our note takers, if you're a note taker, get your tablet ready or your phone ready or your pen ready, because what we're going to talk about is really important. Now, the fruit of the Spirit that we've talked about to this point are, are things like um, we've talked about peace. How do we have peace? The fruit of the Spirit. How do you and I experience self-control? We've talked about that. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit known as joy. And if you were here that Sunday or you were watching online, you know that we said that joy is a lot different than, uh, than what happiness is. Happiness is fleeting. It's unpredictable. It's unreliable. Spasmodic. It can come and go. And it's really happiness is based on happenings. And we talked about that. But joy is entirely different. If you missed any of those messages, you could go. Uh, back and you could check those out. Those are available to you. Now, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about goodness. And I'm so glad that we are. And just uh, digging into this personally, uh, doing the research, doing the hard work of getting ready for today. I'm really glad that, that I did so and it became a personal challenge to me. Now, let me just say that all of us are familiar uh, with the word good and we use good a whole lot. Don't we? We, we say things like uh, this is really good weather. How many of you know when you walked outside today, it's like, this is, this is some good weather today. And thank you for being here instead of at the beach. By the way, this is how I look at it. You've got six days to go to the beach, and I know you work, but if you ever go to the beach on Sunday, you just need to know ahead of time, I'm praying that you're going to break down somewhere between here and the beach. So I just needed to get that out of my system and, and just mention that. All right, so thank you for being here. So uh, good weather, we would say. Have you ever said, hey, that was good food? That was some good food. Uh, how many of you remember a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned these devilish little kind ice cream bars. How many of you remember that? How many of you have been, look, I'm not even going to ask how many, just, just don't even bomb unless you plan. So I'm like, Lord, help me. And then, so I mentioned that. And then there's a guy in our church. His name is Felix. He's a retired uh, police officer and he makes, and Craig, I think you got some of these recently you bought. And so he makes these homemade, he makes these homemade cheesecake. You know, New York style, Italian style cheesecakes. And he does it. That's what he does in his retirement. And man, he brought one in the day after or the Sunday after I mentioned those kind bars. And so I was met with uh, a cheesecake, homemade cheesecake with raspberries, raspberry sauce. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to offend a church member. So I'm going to do my best to see what kind of damage I can do. It was on Sunday. There was no carryover to Monday. So just for clarification. So good weather, we say, or we say, well, that's good food, or that's a good team, or that they have a good job, or I have a good job. And so we use the word good a lot, don't we? We use that word good 
a lot. Now, do you know that the Bible uses the word good uh, or goodness a whole lot? In fact, if we like to use the word good, the Bible loves to use the word good. In fact, if you were to take where there's Hebrew or Greek, you would go to the Old Testament and New Testament, and you, you were to look at this word good or goodness in the Bible, uh, this is how many times it is mentioned. Are you, are you ready for this? This is how many times good or goodness is mentioned in the Bible, totality of scripture, Genesis, Revelation. You ready for this? I'm not giving it to you if you're not ready. I'll just sit here and I can, I can wait you out. I'm a patient man. It's mentioned 619 times. 619 times. We're going to be here a while today. I hope you brought your lunch. Well, maybe not. But the Bible says a lot about goodness. And we use that and, uh, you know, a lot, you know, good food, good weather, good job, all of that. And let me quickly toss in an expression that you and I have heard and we've used. I know I have a countless number of times. We talk about the good life. Somebody says, you know what? I'm living the good life or I want to live the good life. And a lot of times when we think about it, uh, when I say a non-biblical perspective, I'm not talking about a wrong or evil or bad perspective. But a lot of times when we talk about the good life, we're talking about looking good or feeling good or having the goods, money, toys, possessions, whatever the thing. So good is a word that we're very, very familiar with, and we use it in a lot of different settings. Now, let's take that and set it aside just for today's purposes, because I want to mention that when the Bible talks about good in scores of places, as I mentioned, 619 times, the significance of good or goodness is tethered to this. It is tethered, it is connected to a life, to a life that is filled with goodness. And what is goodness? From a biblical perspective, I want you to get this down if you're like, all right, what do I write down? This would be something you'd want to write down. From the biblical perspective of good or goodness, goodness is being good and doing good. Let me say that again. From a biblical reality, goodness is being good and doing good. And let me just add this. Often when that happens, when we're being good and doing good, connected to it becomes this sense of feeling good. I want you to look at our first verse here today. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, for we, you and I, we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do what kind of words? Say it with me. Good words. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good words, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I want you to be sure that you catch this. It's so important. Uh, theologically, it's important. Pragmatically, it's important that you and I understand this. And this is a part that I want to mention. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not saved, redeemed. You are not saved by good words but you are saved for good words. And that distinction is really, really important. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not saved. You're not brought into the family of God. You're not redeemed. And as I'll mention in a moment, you're not justified on the basis of your good words. It's not by good words that we've done, but we are saved in order that we might do good words. And the reason why is this. The life of a Christian the lifestyle of a Christian is a lifestyle of goodness, all right? It's, that's what you and I, that's what it means. That's what God, you know, if I'm going to be the me that I want to be, not only does self-control need to be a part of my life, experiencing God's peace, not only is it involving uh, the other uh, 
uh, things that are mentioned in this list of uh, the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5. But if I'm being the me that I want to be and the me that God wants me to be and wants you to be, then the reality is you and I are living that life of goodness. We are being good and we're doing good. All right? You're with me. Wave at me. Wave at me if you're with me. You're with me to this point. All right. Now, I've got to tell you, though, there is a problem. There is a problem, and we've got to assess it. We've got to be real about it, and it's really the elephant in the room. So since it's in the room, let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room, and that is that you and I have a big, big problem, and it is this. By nature, you and I are not good. We are not. We are not good. By nature, it is not in our nature. It is not in our nature to be good. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Can I tell you this? You already know this, and so I'm only saying something that you already realize about yourself. How many of you know that by nature, you are selfish? By nature, you're selfish. How many of you know that? How many of you know that? By nature, you are, unless you're Jesus Jr., and then that would be an exception, but I don't see Jesus Jr. with us today. So by nature, you and I are selfish. We want to be our own boss. We want to do our own thing. I'm not going to ask you to nod, wink, or uh, raise your hand. But do you ever have this attitude, and sometimes it's more uh, prevalent than others, when your attitude is like, and, and I'm, I'm going to use English that, you know, it's not appropriate, not because it's wrong, but grammatically. Uh, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. By nature, we're selfish. How many of you know by nature we're sinful? Do you know that? Wave at me. I need to know you're with me because if I know you're with me, I may disclose uh, some things. I may be uh, transparent about some things, but only if you're with me. By nature, we are sinful. By nature, we're selfish. Uh, We're all we're all sinful. Any testimonies on that? In fact, if we were to take that microphone over there that Teresa was, uh, uh, had a moment ago, and I said, hey, one by one, one by one, uh, we're going to come up and we're going to talk about the sins that we've committed in our lifetime. How many of you know we'd be here a while? How many of you know if I started, you wouldn't even get an opportunity before this service is over? I'd be like, ho, 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 I'm not through. I haven't told all of my sins yet. Well, I'm not looking to do that, and I've got a feeling you're not looking to do that, but we all can say, in, in fact, let me, we're real, we want to be transparent, we're not, we don't have this attitude like we're smog and sanctimonious and we got our act together, we don't. Uh, so I want to ask you a question about this, all right? Here's the question, do you ever, ever, listen to it, do you ever have times when you really don't want to be good? Do you? Huh? Do you ever have times in your life when the thought of sin, whatever that particular sin may be, sounds like it's a little bit fun? Huh? You ever have those times when you don't really want to be good, and it's like, I don't, in this case, I don't want to be good. Or in this case, this particular sin right now seems really, really fun to me. Now, if you've ever had that experience, wave your hand at me like this, all right? Wave your hand, wave your hand. Some of you are a lot better people than I am, all right? I'm just saying I can recognize it already Uh, because I've had that feeling. I'm like, you know what? I want to be good. I want to do good. But, you know, this time I don't want to be good. 
You ever have that? Now, that doesn't mean I do it. And hopefully, as we've talked about previous weeks, self-control, even if I don't want to be good, or even if this particular sin may sound fun to me, hopefully I'm going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit known as self-control. But we all battle with that. We all struggle with that. In fact, these are the words of Paul, and they are the classic texts on this great conflict that rages within us all. And I want you to see it up on the screen. Romans 7, 18 and 19. See if this this doesn't sound a lot like you. I know that nothing good lives in me. Man, I'm already hit. I've already, I've already been hit. That is in, but Paul, you know, he mentions it. That is in my sinful nature. He said, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it Anyway, how many of you, that sounds just at least remotely familiar to you from time to time? Have you ever had that? Like, I know I shouldn't, but I, I want to. And I know I should do this, but I don't. And Paul, you know, I'm not going to elaborate because I need to keep moving. But it's this conflict of, of two natures. It's this battle that goes on within us internally, this, this conflict. Now, so here's the deal. You ready? So let me go back and bring us back up to speed. What is goodness? The idea of biblical goodness is being good and doing good. All right? There we go. Here's the problem. The problem is, by nature, we're not good. In fact, Paul, uh, like this great, great, great church leader, he said, there's no good thing that dwells in me. He said, I'm, by nature, I'm just not a good person. Now, thankfully, it does not end with a problem because there is actually, and thank God for it, a well-defined solution. And this is what we need to talk about. The solution here is to take a breather, take a breather. And the reason we can take a breather is because God is already taking care of the problem. Is there a problem? Yes, there's most definitely a problem. But thankfully, it doesn't end with a problem. It actually ends with a solution. How do we know that there is a solution to our problem? All we have to do, and you'll want to be sure you get this in your notes, all we have to do is to become increasingly familiar with this passage and passages like it. This is Titus 3, 4, and 5, and this is what it says. Look at it on the screen. God, our Savior, showed us how good he is. You and I may not be good by nature, but God is good. Showed us how good and kind he is. He saved us because of his mercy and not because of any good things that we have done. It's because of his mercy. It's because of his grace. Here's the great news. Your goodness, although it does not come by nature to you, your goodness is a gift from God to you. So, yeah, goodness is being good. And doing good, the problem is, in and of ourselves, by our own nature, which is sinful and selfish, we're not good. But God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring some goodness into your life. I'm, I'm going I'm to cause you to become righteous, even though, in and of yourself, you are not righteous. Your goodness is actually God's gift to you. And you and I, by the way, we did absolutely nothing to receive it. Do we deserve it? This idea, and I'm not going to elaborate on it because I need, again, to keep moving, but this whole idea of the imputed righteousness, how that God takes us, who by nature we're not good, and he causes us to become good, and he becomes, causes us to become righteous in his sight, and he takes our sin and forgives us of our sin, and he gives to us a gift of goodness, and, and that's a powerful, powerful thing. See, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, if you're a Christian, you have already been justified. 
And you're like, okay, great, I'm justified. Don't have a clue what it means, but thankfully I'm justified. And justified means that you and I have, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have been made right with God. We are justified. We're in good standing with God. Again, not because we deserve it or because we've worked for it, earned it, or any of those things. It actually is a gift from God, and Jesus has made it all possible. In fact, Jesus is paid for it. He paid the bill, and he did so with his own shed blood. And you and I ought to be incredibly grateful because God has taken his goodness because he is good and he is kind. He's taken us who by nature are sinful and selfish and he has placed, deposited into our life this sense of goodness. And Jesus paid for it with his sacrifice. So we didn't deserve it, but it's been paid for. Recently, uh, Recent, I, I don't even know what we had been doing, but Audrey, our daughter, was with me. And I don't even know what we had been doing, but she was in the car with me. And then she, she said, oh, by the way, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Isn't it amazing how your adult kids still milk you for money even though they're grown up and have money for their own? She's like, I'm hungry. And you know what that means? How many of you know if my daughter's in the car with me and she says, I'm hungry, how many of you know that means, Dad, I want you to buy me dinner tonight? And so I can take a clue. I'm not the brightest guy, but I'm bright enough to know she's handing at me to buy her dinner, although she has her own job and her own money and her own insurance. But that's all another thing, and God's helping me to get over that. But so she said, and I'm like, all right. And uh, she's great help to us in so many ways. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Where do you want to go? She said, I want to go to Saigon Bistro right, right down the way. And how many of you know God did a good thing when he created Saigon Bistro? And so she said, well, let's go to Saigon Bistro. And I said, well, that sounds, that sounds great. And so, uh, you know, uh, we go in there and we sit down and eat and we're enjoying this meal. And I see some church folks and I wave to them. You know, I wave to them. Hey, how are And, and um, they may be in the service right now, but I wave to them, said hi. And then I walked over to the table and, hey, what's going on, et cetera. Talked to them a few moments and then they left. It's a pretty good-sized party, and they left, and then Audrey and I are sitting there, and we're eating our meal. We get through, and the waitress walks over to us, and she said, oh, by the way, your meal has been taken care of. And I'm like, Audrey, I knew we should have ordered an appetizer. <laughs> Not really. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is just a joke. That is a complete joke. That was unnecessary. Unnecessary. I apologize. But if they're in this service, thank you again. I thank them twice already. But, and, you know, I appreciated that. I pre- Did I have the money? I could have bought dinner for us, obviously. But it just, it, this family just did something that Audrey and I, in that moment, we're just so grateful for. And when you and I think about it, by nature, we're born with a sin streak in us. Nobody has to teach us. How many of you know, notice this? Nobody has to teach you how to be selfish and sinful. Nobody had to teach you. How many of you know you didn't have to go to school to get an education on that? How many of you know your parents didn't have to teach you how to be sinful or selfish? In fact, you just, you, you just caused all kinds of stress in their life because you were so sinful and stressless, you know, uh, sinful and selfish. And it's not like you say, well, hey, I'm going to go on YouTube because I'm not so sure uh, how to be sinful. I mean, by nature. And so what does God do? God, through Christ, causes his goodness to dwell within us. So when we're saved, when we're justified, made right with God, we're changed on the inside, we get a new, a fresh start all over again. 
And God not only, and this is the good part, this is good because we don't end on the bad news if we've got to sin nature. The good news is Jesus made it possible. But he didn't even stop there. And I want you to get this. This is powerful when it really resonates and settles into your spirit. He not only deposited his goodness into us, he gave us now the desire to do good and the power to do good. So whereas previously I may have not had the desire to do good, now I do. Uh, whereas before Jesus, I didn't have the power to do good. Now I do. Now, does that mean that we never sin again? I wish that were true. doesn't mean we never sin again because we all stumble. We all blow it. We all still make mistakes. We all sin. But, it, but it's a different response to it. And again, man, I just have so much. And it may seem like it's dragging to you, but the time is just flicking for me. But I do want to just do a, uh, hit a pause right here and just say, uh, in case you've never heard me talk about this before, it's really, really important. And that is the huge chasm that separates uh, condemnation from conviction. Because now when I sin, and I do, and I hate that I do, but sometimes I do, sometimes I blow it. And when I sin, I've learned at this stage in my Christian life to recognize the difference between condemnation and conviction. And here's the difference in case you're wondering. When, when I blow it, when I make a mistake, the enemy is always going to be quick to condemn me. Yeah, look at you. Look at you. Look at how long you've been a Christian. You've been a Christian all these years. Oh, by the way, in case you forgot, you're not only a Christian, you're a pastor. By the way... You're paid to be good. And so look at you. Look at, look at what... And, and the enemy rushes in to bring condemnation. And you know what the effort of condemnation is? Is to drive me away from God because I'm, I'm like... I'm just like, oh man, I can't... And I just start beating myself up and I let the enemy beat me up. And, and condemnation, which comes from the evil one, always wants to drive me from God. Now, I, early on, I didn't recognize the difference and perhaps you haven't yet to this stage, but you will from this point forward. Conviction is totally different. See, condemnation, enemy rushes in drives me, wants to drive me away from God. Fortunately, it doesn't work like it did when I was a younger Christian. But I've recognized now that when I sin, not only is condemnation close by, but there is conviction. And conviction is a good thing. How many of you wave at me if you believe conviction is a good thing? When I say something I shouldn't say, when I think something I shouldn't think, when I do something I shouldn't do, when I watch something I shouldn't have watched or hear something that I shouldn't have heard. I mean, and there's that conviction and the Holy Spirit rushes in. And it's not in an effort to drive me away from God. It's actually to draw me to God. And then that's when repentance comes in. That's a whole nother talk. And in repentance, I'm sorry, God. And repentance means a change of heart. I want to change. I don't want to keep doing that. If, if I've got a habit, a pattern, uh, then I want to change that. I want to repent. I don't want to just say, I'm sorry, God, and I need your grace and forgiveness. I want to get on a different path. All right. So now this is where we're at. This goodness, this is really, really important. This is the me I want to be. We want to be good. By nature, we're not good. We've got this problem but the solution is God makes us good through Jesus. And because we're a Christian, if we are a Christian already, he gives us the desire to be good and the power to be good. Now, I want to get really, really practical. And I only have just a few moments here. But I want to give you four things before we're done. Four things before we're done that I believe will help us to be good and to do good. To be good and to do good. Now, I want you to write this verse down somewhere. Titus, we mentioned this same chapter uh, a little while ago, but you go a little bit deeper, about nine verses deeper into chapter three, and you see this phrase. Titus says, our people must learn to be good. 
our people must learn to be good, to do good. And so how do, how do we do that? And I want to give you four things real quickly. And just to make it sort of flow, I work real hard to find a word that begins with the same letter. So uh, I hope you'll appreciate that. It wasn't easy, but I'll give it. All right, number one, determine that you will guard your mind. Determine that you will guard your mind. You will guard your mind. Sin always starts in the mind. You know, we've talked about it. It starts there. Satan loves to give us ideas. God loves to give us ideas, but how many of you know that Satan also loves to give us ideas? And when Satan gives us an idea, how many of you know what that's called? It's called a temptation. He loves to give us ideas which always emerge out of our thoughts or our mind. So obviously this is something that we, is really, really important that we guard our mind. Now, do you realize how complicated your brain really is? Aren't you glad I, I said your brain and I didn't stop? Do you know how complicated you are? How many of you are glad I threw brain in? Okay, so I did that. Thank you. Now, listen, this is how complicated your brain is. I want you to, and you may want to write down a couple of things here that you can go back and look at later. Your brain, your brain, uh, and I'll read two paragraphs to you right here. Your brain is your most amazing organ. Even though it is only 2% of your body's weight, what percent of your body's weight? 2%. Listen to this. Only 2% of your body's weight, it uses 20 to 30% of the calories you consume. Think about that. 2% of your body weight, but it consumes 20 to 30% of the calories that you consume. And listen to this. And 20% of the oxygen and blood flow in your body. It is, this study says, the most expensive real estate in your body that requires the most resources. Now, this is going to blow you away, but I want you to hear it. It has 100 billion nerve cells and more connections in it than there are stars in the universe. Let me read that again. Your brain, your mind, has 100 billion nerve cells and more connections in it than there are stars in the universe. Next paragraph, real brief. When your brain works right, guess what? You work right. When your brain is troubled, you're much more likely to have trouble. And that's how complicated our brain is. And a lot of people think, well, it doesn't really matter what I watch. It doesn't really matter what I see, but that is absolutely ludicrous. It does matter. Do you know that there are things when you and I watch things or have seen things that we shouldn't see? Then the reality, experts, and I'm talking about non-Christian experts, tells us that these things can be stored, embedded in our subconscious for years to go. Have you ever been walking along and you're not even thinking about a particular thing and all of a sudden something hits your mind? And you're like, where did that come from? Where, you know, that's been a long, long time ago. Where did that come from? The fact of the matter is, it's not that you're, you know, uh, sort of redialing that all the time, but every now and then something peaks out of your subconscious and it reminds you of something from a long, long time ago, and it matters a whole lot. That's why we need to be familiar with Matthew 6. Be sure you get this down. Matthew 6, 22 and 23 says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. I wish I had a lot of time to talk about it, but it's basically saying that what you and I take in through our eyes. Also, we could talk about it from our hearing standpoint, but what we take in through our eyes, it just remains. That's why it's important that our eyes be healthy. And if we're seeing the things that we're, uh, ought to be seeing and we're hearing the things that we ought to be uh, hearing and we're thinking about the things that we ought to be thinking about, it causes our body to be full of light. The adverse of that would be true, that if we're watching things or 
hearing things or thinking about things that shouldn't be in the mind and heart of a Christian, then the fact of the matter is it causes our body to be full of, of darkness. That's why in places like Philippians 4, it says, think about the things that are good. We guard our mind. Part of guarding our mind is making sure that we're not only keeping the junk out, but we're putting good things. Philippians, Paul said there, things that are pure and true and right and lovely. So number one, number one, if you and I are going to be good and do good and walk in this goodness that God has provided for us as a gift, then we need to determine that we will guard our mind. Number two, we need to develop some absolute convictions, some absolute convictions. Everybody has, everybody has opinions. How many of you would agree with that? But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean that you have a conviction, deeply held convictions, non-negotiables. How many of you know that as Christians, we are not supposed to hate? How many of you know that? Wave at me, wave at me. You sit with me? You with me? As Christians, we're not supposed to hate. But how many of you would like to know an exception to that? Would you like to know? All right, here's an exception. You'll see it on the screen. Look at this verse right here. Hate everything that is evil and hold tight to everything that is good. Now, why do you and I need to hate evil? And it's really logical why we need to. We need to hate evil because the enemy uses evil to hurt and abuse and to destroy people. Now, let me go ahead and alert you to this fact because we're talking about how that you and I need to just have, you know, strong convictions, strong convictions. I want to go ahead and mention this to you for you to be alerted to this fact. When you stand up for something or you speak up for something out of a deeply held conviction, prepare yourself that some people are not going to like it. (laughs) How many of you know that? As long as you're silent, all, you know, you don't speak up and you got a conviction. Hey, I just don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'm not going to speak up for anything. It may be wrong. And we could talk about a lot of things that are wrong and evil and bad in this world. But I'm just not, I'm not going to speak up for it. I'm not going to stand up for it. You know, I think that's a mistake. You and I need to have some deeply held convictions. But we've got to know if we stand up for something or speak up for something, with that can come some criticism. People aren't going to like it. But you know why that's okay? Because Jesus lived a perfect life and Jesus was criticized. How many of you know that? In fact, Jesus was not only criticized, Jesus was also crucified. And the latter of those are not going to happen to you. In fact, I want you to see what God says will happen if you and I suffer for doing right. Look at this verse right here. God will bless you. God will bless you, bless you, bless you if you suffer for doing something good. How many of you know it doesn't say God will bless you if you suffer for doing something stupid? Doesn't say that, does it? God will bless you if you have to suffer for doing something good. So let's move on. I need to hurry. Number three, decide that you're going to be different. That you're going to be different. Decide you're going to be different. I'm going to be different. I didn't say weird. I didn't say strange. I didn't say goofy. By the way, let me just say, I need to correct this. If you say, well, listen, I'm not a Christian yet. Uh, I'm not a Christian yet. And I don't intend on becoming a Christian because I know some weird Christians. Let me just clarify this for the record. Becoming a Christian did not make them weird. They were weird before they became. They were a weird non-Christian. They've just become a weird Christian. All right. I just felt I needed to provide some clarification on that. Okay. But we need to be different. And that means that we're different and that we're not going to conform to culture. 
I wish I had more time to talk about it, not because I like talking about these kind of uh, things in my life. Uh, but I can remember when I was about 15 years of age, I got mixed up, totally, totally, totally mixed up with the wrong crowd. Guys who were pot smoking, uh, party hard, rebels. And man, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm in a new community. Uh, my parents had gone through their divorce. We move into a new community. I don't really know anybody. And the people around me just happens to be the wrong crowd. And I just find myself, and I've got, a, I've got a, a deep faith that started in my life because my parents had raised me in church when I was younger. And so I've got this deep faith, and I've got a love for God. Now all of a sudden, I see myself when I'm about 15 years of age, and I'm just, and, and I wasn't like headlong into it. I faked so many things that they thought I was doing that I really wasn't doing. But just really being in that, and I knew better. And I can remember what, and some of you can identify with this story because a lot of times I would go home at night after I'd gone to this party with them or this had happened and I'd just lay in bed at night and I would just be so, my heart would just be so grieved because God, even though I wasn't doing what they were doing, I was doing something that I knew I should. And it wasn't like I was just all in with God, but I had this childhood faith that had been instilled within me, my not too long after that, I would just say, no more. I just, I can't handle it. I just, I can't handle that anymore. I remember crossing the line of faith when I was about 15 and a half years of age. I remember I'm all in with God. And uh, it wasn't like I made them feel bad or I became judgmental. But I just, especially until I got strong spiritually, I needed to pull myself away from these guys. And, and I did. And uh, these are guys that I was hanging out in high school. And you may think this is ridiculous and you may think it is insane. And I'm not saying that you've got to do this to prove a point. But for me, that this time, this is what I needed to do. I needed to not only break out, out of that, but I needed to make a statement. And so I kid you not. And look, looking back now, you know, I guess it required a courage that I wasn't even contemplating at the time. But I said, listen, this is, this is the crowd that the teachers and other students know that I've been running with for a while and I just need to make a statement. And I literally uh, said from this point forward, when my books, I didn't have a book bag, but I'd carry my books and I, I had a Bible and I'd put my Bible right on top of all of my books and I'd carry that all six period of high school every day, Monday through Friday. And it's not just trying to make a statement. I'd read it like if I had, if, if I had, uh, you know, like a class, like a study hall or something like that, I'd open it up and I would use it to feed myself. But I, I needed, it wasn't like, okay, you've been running with these guys and now you're breaking and just don't let it, no, I needed, I needed, uh, I needed to make a distinction between what I was. I needed to be different. So I decided that I would be different. And I wasn't weird about it. I wasn't strange about it. I wasn't goofy about it. But I just needed. In fact, can I just get you to write this down? And I really, really need to hurry. But we actually have three choices in matters like this. You ready? You ready? We can imitate, we can isolate, or we can insulate. We can imitate. Imitation is, you know what? I'm just going to do what everybody else does. Hey, I'm just going to live the way that all my buddies live, all my, all my girlfriends, all my, you know, the ladies I run with, the guys I run with, depending on if you're a guy or a lady. I'm just, they're not going to really know. You know, whatever they're doing, I'm going to be doing. And, you know, they can't really tell the difference between them and me and me and them. You know, I'm just going to imitate. Well, that's a choice. It's an unwise choice, but it's a choice. But here's another poor choice. But it's available to us, and that is I can isolate. I can isolate. 
you know what, I'll just retreat into some spiritual bunker somewhere because I don't want to become tainted or influenced any, uh, any way negatively. But the only problem with that is like when we're in imitation, there's no difference. When we're in isolation, there's no influence. But you and I shouldn't choose imitation to do what everybody else is doing or isolation. I'm just going to withdraw from any kind of influence in this world. Instead, this is what you and I need to do. We need to insulate. And that means we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're just asking, God, watch over me. Later, I was able to go back to these uh, friends when I was a little bit stronger spiritually and share my faith and the change that Jesus had made in my life. But I needed God to insulate me from what had been a part of my lifestyle prior to getting serious with God at 15 and a half years old. I love this verse. Look at it on the screen. Get it in your notes. 3 John 11. Do not imitate what is evil. Don't do that. But what is what we're talking about, the me I want to be, but imitate what is good. I'm about out of time, but let me give you number four and we'll just be done. Discover. Don't you appreciate all these D words? I worked real hard on it. I really did. I hope you appreciate it. Thank you. Whenever I'm done with this 30-day reset I'm about to do starting Wednesday, I'll ask for a kind bar or something as a result. So discover the joy of community. Did you know that God in his wisdom designed you in such a way that you need him and other believers? If you have the attitude that says, I don't need anybody, I'm the home person, I don't need anybody, then you know what you're saying? You're saying that you're smarter than God because God designed you in such a way that you need other people. Detachment from others is not a biblical concept. In fact, uh, last two verses, this is Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Look at it up here on the screen. I'm sorry, that, uh, there we go. Let us be concerned for one another to help one another and, sh and to show love. And here it is again, to do good. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another and all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming near. Here's what I say. I've got my heart is full and I want to really help us, but we're out of time and I need to wrap this up. You know, there's a lot of indicators that tell us that hopefully, you know, Circle J, I mentioned I'd come back to this at the end of this talk, but I'm believing and I'm hoping, and you are too, that this fall things are going to, whatever normal is going to look like again. I know I was encouraged. Uh, this this week, I looked at Dog Nation, D-A-W-G Nation. How many of you know what that is? And some of you are like, is that when you were doing your devotions? No, that is not where I do my devotions. But I looked at Dog Nation, and I know that our first game of the season is against Clemson. And I believe it's the will of God that we would destroy them. But that's a whole other deal. But uh, I, I saw that you know, it's going to be full capacity. 75,000 people are going to be in the stands. How many of you, not even if you don't like sports, how many of you just like the sound of that? 75,000 people are going to be in the stands. What they tell us, if you're in the school system, educational system, you know some of the things that are being said about that. If you like concerts, it's saying that concerts are going to fire up again. And you've been hearing me mention this, and I do it very intentionally. Small groups are as well. And as a church, we need small groups more than ever before. People feel lonely. People feel isolated. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to get together. And I'm going to challenge you leading up to the fall months to be faithful here on Sunday mornings, to be faithful in your devotion to God, but to either lead a small group and if you don't lead one, to be in one. Why? Because you and I need 
each other. Would you stand with me? And while you do, we were going to do one more song, but we're out of time. But I want to read this to you as we close, as we pray. Lee Strobel, some of you are familiar with his name. He said, I found it's particularly helpful to seek out people who have a strong faith themselves. I suppose this goes back to a childhood experience, he said. When we were kids, my younger sister, Lorena, came down with the mumps, and I was jealous over all the gifts she received as a result. So he says, Lee Strobel, I love this. So I hung around her until I came down with a disease myself, and I reaped a harvest of goodies too. And then he says, while faith isn't literally contagious, we can benefit from hanging around with people who have deep and abiding beliefs. They tend to anchor and reassure us, and we can always learn from the spiritual practices that they have integrated into their life. And you know what that means? We need each other. Part of doing good and being good is just we get around with some other believers, and we encourage each other. And we're going to do that this fall in small groups. And I hope that you'll lead one. And if you don't lead one, I'm going to expect that you'll get involved in one because I believe that God will use it in a powerful way. I'm going to pray, and then we're dismissed. Don't forget the card. Would you be sure to drop it in the bucket? Let them know how many people you're going to support. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to sponsor these kids, God, kids, that uh, they really wouldn't have church unless we went and picked them up and brought them and shared like we heard from that precious little girl today how that Jesus died on the cross for her, and she received that. Thank you, God, for a generous church family, a faithful church family. We know that by nature we are not good. There is no good thing that is dwelling in us. But thank you, God, for the wonderful gift of your goodness that Jesus paid for with his own blood. Help us to encourage each other to be good and to do good. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I love you. Have an awesome week. See you next time.